Good morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Acts, where we've been for some weeks now. And uh, the book of Acts, uh, chapter 5, is where we will be this morning. That will be our text for this morning. Acts chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to take a Bible from the pew back in front of you, and you can uh, find this reading on page 886 in, in that particular Bible. Uh, we are indeed glad that you're with us. We find ourselves this morning in, uh, towards the end of a series that we call Live Like It Matters. And the reason why we got here is because I've yet to meet someone who says, I don't, I, I don't want my life to matter at all. I just want to go through this life and live a life of insignificance. No, all of us want to matter. We all want so in the things that we do in the life that we live somehow to live a life of significance, somehow to live a life of importance. And so we've been examining these things together. Last summer, I, uh, with my family, we had the opportunity to go to a, to a Minnesota Twins game. And we had, we had some fun seats that were, uh, it doesn't matter, uh, but there they they were, they were some fun seats. And we were there uh, because I'm originally from Ohio, and so I'm a, I'm a Cleveland Indians fan. Well, the Twins and the Indians were playing one another. And so we and my whole family went to, the, went to Target Field, and we were all decked out in our Indians gear. And we're sitting at our, at our seats and, and enjoying the game. Um, it's an interesting thing, though, to be in the opposing stadium of the team that you're cheering for. And so at one point, you know, we were getting um, some conversation behind us uh, of, the, of the fans that were behind us saying things. And eventually, uh, in between innings, they said, what is your deal? Right? That's, and so we, we had a conversation with them about, um, about being from Cleveland and blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, whatever. Um, they, don't, they, didn't, they didn't care in the slightest. But I tell you what, it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun um, to be cheering for the home team in the home team stadium. It, it, it just is. It's just a lot more fun to, to be in that environment because you get to cheer when everybody else is cheering as opposed to against when everybody else is not cheering. You cheer and it's like you're the only one standing. It makes for an awkward moment. Um, it's also fun because you get to say the chants and sing along, you know, root, root, root for the home team. You know, you want to you root for the home team, but except for when you don't, right? It's just a lot more fun to be a part of something that's moving, something that's bigger than you. You, you, you get enveloped in this cheering for something that's just, oh, you know, you get wrapped up into it. You get wrapped up into it. And to live a life that matters for now and for eternity. It requires us to have clarity on our own purpose, but also recognize, but also recognize that we are a part of something far more significant that God is doing. That to understand that we want to, we have a desire to live a life that actually matters individually, and yet we're a part of something far more significant than ourselves. And that's really, really important. And that's what we see happening here in the book of Acts, that God is making a movement. There is a movement that is far more significant than what's happening. Than what, than what's happening. He is moving. And yet it's imperative that these people live a life that matters, that they know their own purpose. Both of these are true for us. I think we'll be helped by looking at Acts chapter 5. Let's begin reading. Actually, I'm going to begin reading in verse, uh, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join. 
No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought, brought the sick to the streets and laid them on the beds in the mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. The crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Let's just pause there. Let's pause there for a moment. So they were coming to Peter and to the apostles. The people were coming to Peter and to the apostles in order that they might be able to receive healing, in order that the apostles might be able to, in in a sense, give life, to be able to breathe life into these people. So last week when we were talking about we were talking about Peter and John Peter and John they were standing sort of on trial as it were before the ruling council and and then they were released and they were let go and Peter and John went back to the fellowship of believers and there they were with them and then after and then what had happened was God continued to keep working and adding to their number and then they were able to perform these signs and wonders that's what we see in the verses that were before us verses 12 through 16 Now, I want to just take a moment and talk about the church. This is the beginning, as the Bible talks about, the beginning of the Christian church. And the the way that the Bible describes it, the way that Luke describes it is the church was, in Acts chapter 2, it says that they they were gathering together. They were sharing one another's resources. There wasn't a person who had need. This is how the church was interacting with one another. And then again, at the end of Acts chapter 4, it says the church was gathered together and they were sharing with one another and they were selling their possessions and they were giving to everyone who had need. And now in Acts chapter 5, saying the apostles were going out and they were healing and they were were healing and they were dealing with people spiritually. They were casting out demons and evil spirits and they were bringing healing. What's going on? This is how the church is described. This is the way in which the church is, is being described as it's beginning, as it's moving, and as people are continually be added to the church. Why, why signs and wonders? Why did, these, did God allow these apostles to do signs and wonders? Well, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he healed, he casted out, he casted out demons. This is, this is how Jesus did his ministry. And so now Jesus has died, he rose again, he ascended, and now he has sent his his people, he's given his spirit, and now he's sending out those who are his apostles, those who are his, essentially he's building the church. And in order that we might be able to understand that this church is has moving with the exact same power that, that came from Jesus himself, that this healing was happening in the very name of the risen Christ Jesus who now is ascended, he gave them the ability to do similar signs and wonders that he did. So it is the connection between Jesus, who is the head of the church, and his church that he gives these apostles at this particular time the ability to do these signs and wonders. So what's the response then? What's the response to this this movement? Well, there's two that are given to us in these verses. The first is verse 13. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. So there were those who were not yet believers in Jesus Christ. They were unbelievers. They knew themselves to not be Christians. And they watched this go on, and they didn't dare join them. And the reason is because of fear. 
Because what happened is, in the beginning of Acts chapter 5, there is, there is this married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And what was happening, right, so the, all of the church was giving, some of the people of the church were selling property that they had. They were selling land that they had, and they were giving all of those resources to the church so that no one could be a, who was going to be a part of the church would have need. Ananias and Sapphira had land, and they sold the land, and then they gave those resources to the church, and they said, this is all of, this is what we received for the sale of the land. But that wasn't the problem, but there's a problem there, and the problem wasn't that they, that, that they gave the money. It wasn't that they sold the land. The problem was that they said they actually gave all of the money for the sale of the land, but they together decided to keep some of the money themselves. There's nothing wrong with them deciding to keep the money. The problem was that they said it was all of the money. It was theirs to begin with. And so what happened is they were struck dead in, in Peter's presence. God struck them dead. So the serious nature by which the, the beginning of this church, was, this is there's the serious nature. And, they were, and so people were afraid. They were afraid to join the church. They were afraid to join in. But they had awe and respect for the Christians and for their worship and for the power and the movement of God among them. That's what's happening. So the first response for these people is that they were afraid because of the serious nature of it. But there was, a, there was an honor and there was an awe and there was a respect for the Christians because they saw God moving among them. And so it is with us. And so it is with the church. That you and I, in our lives, while there are people who are outside the faith, there are people who wouldn't claim Jesus Christ. And yet they ought to be able to look at your life and they ought to be able to look at our worship and they ought to be able to say, they ought to have an awe and respect and be able to say, even though I don't believe what those people believe and even though I'm not sure about what those people are, I, there's an awe and a respect that you and I, we are to have, a, a, what is our, our relationship or our reputation with those who are outside the faith? What is our relationship with them? Because here in the early church, while the people didn't join in with them, they had a respect for them. They had a respect for them. And I understand that there are people that are hesitant to come to a, a gathering like this. There are people that are hesitant to join in in Christian worship because they don't understand or because they're afraid or because they don't really, they, they have preconceived notions of what it is that we believe. And yet at the same time, we should conduct ourselves in such a way that we have the respect of those who are outside, outside the faith, who believe something different. And so the question that I have is, how do people view us as a church who are not a part of our church? That's an important thing for us to consider. And it has a lot to do with how you and I interact when we're not here. Because the strength of what happens when we are here is put on display when we're scattered out amongst the community. So what is your reputation with those who are outside the faith? What, do they, what would they say of you? Do they know you as honest, as helpful, as caring? Or would they know you as negative, uninvolved, divisive, gossiping? Would they know you as aloof, standoffish, Invisible, maybe not knowing you hardly at all. What is our reputation with those who are outside the faith? If I suggest to you, one of the responses here 
is that these people, though they didn't believe what these people believe, what the church believed, they had a respect for them. It's important for us to give consideration to as well. If we want to live a life that actually matters. The second response is verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Not all were unwilling to join because many were added to their number. This passage says many were added to their number. They were able to see the movement of God. They were able to see the commitment of the people. They were able to see the love that overflowed from person to person that was actually rooted in Jesus and what he had done for these people and all that he had done. And they were able to see, and it was extremely attractive to them. And they wooed them in and brought them in. And they joined in. And men and women were continually being added to their number. We desire to be a church. We desire to be a faith community that is there in order that we might be able to give life because that's what the church was doing for one another. They were meeting one another's needs. They were praying with one another. They were caring for one another. They were speaking words of life into one another. They, people came to the apostles. Why? In order that they might be able to have healing, in order that they might be able to have restoration, in order that they might be able to have life. People ought to be able to come to us in order that they might be able to receive life. Spiritual life, yes, but more than that, that they might be able to come and know that this is a place that they can ask questions, that this is a place where they can come and be respected, that this is a place where they can have dignity, where this is a place where they can admit that I don't have it all together, that my life is broken and I won't be judged as a result because this is a place that is a place of life. That the church, the early church from its fledgling beginning was a place where because of Jesus Christ, they, they infused life into people. So must the church in our day in 2016 be a place where we're infusing life because we are those who have been given the words of hope. We are those who have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where else would they expect to find life? Where else? Or Philippians chapter 2 says, if you have, and the, the thrust there is actually since you have, since you have received encouragement from being united with Christ, and since you have received comfort from his love, and since you have had fellowship with the Spirit, and since you have experienced tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. Consider others better than yourselves. Since you have experienced Christ, and since you have experienced his love, and since you've had communion with the very spirit of God, and since you've experienced tenderness and compassion, then go consider others better than yourself. Then go be agents of life. You have life. Go. Go be agents of life, that we are to be a place of life where people can come broken and wounded and with hardship, with skin, knees, and broken hearts, and can know that this is a place where they can have life infused into them because of Christ, because we've experienced it. So stop. Let's stop being critical. Let's stop being judgmental. Let's stop saying that we have to have all of the answers and let's start being encouraging and let's start doing deeds of life and let's start sharing words of life because we are those who will, because of Christ, have new life. We are to give life. And in order to live a life that matters and we are to give life to others, and the way in which we'll be able to give this life 
is because we give the proper priorities. Because we give priority. Let's pick up the story in verse 17. Then the high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple and entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and his chief priests were at a loss, wondering what, what this might have led to. Someone came in and, and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing at the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus Christ from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. So the high priest and his, his people were jealous of what was happening, what the apostles were doing. So they arrested them and they put them in jail. And then the angel of the Lord came and did a jailbreak in the middle of the night and then gave them an assignment. The assignment was that they were to go back to the temple courts and to teach about this new life. What are they to do? They're to go teach about this new life. And so in the next morning, the, the rulers, they went to go find the men. They didn't find them in the jail. They found them in the temple courts. They were there teaching the people about this new life that they had found in Jesus. And then they rearrested them and brought them back. And they said, we gave you, we gave you strict orders that you're not supposed to go do this because you, you are just bent on, 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 on telling these people that we killed this man. And then Peter, of course, stands there. And he says, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors, Jesus, raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. He is planning to continue to keep making sure that people know that these men are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ, isn't he? He continues on. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is what we've done. The night, the night before 
Peter and the apostles were in jail, and the angel of God comes and gets them out of jail. And now they're standing before this council, and they say, we told you not to do this. They go, really? Really? Are we to, are we to obey God who sent an angel to get us out of jail, or to, to obey you? Sorry, we're going to obey God. This is what we're going to do. Because God has given us an assignment and God has given his power to attend to the assignment. He's given us a purpose. He's given us a purpose in life. We are witnesses to this new life. This is what we are to be about. This is not a pride thing. This is a priority thing. There is a priority, the highest priority for them. Now, I recognize that there are some Christians and there are some preachers like myself who have used passages like this in order to dissuade anyone who is a dissenter from their own opinions. I I recognize that there are Christians who have gone out in the name of Christ and have done silly things with arrogance and pride because of passages like this. But this is not about pride and arrogance. What this is, is about priority. This is about priority. It's about the apostles understanding that they had a purpose for their lives, that they saw, they recognized, that they know how their lives actually matter. And their lives actually matter because it is for them to go and tell about the message of this new life in Jesus Christ. That is their primary purpose in life. That's why they exist. That's why they're here. Therefore, when that is the main priority, then they align everything else to do and achieve the assignment for which they've been given. The highest priority in their life is going to be God. The main driving force in their life is going to be living for Jesus. The main reason why they live is because they have been given this new life. And now they are to align all of their talents, all of their treasure, all of their time, all of their resources in order to fulfill the purpose for their life. This is what they're to do. And this is what they're about. So it's easy for them to be able to say, should we obey men or should we obey God? Oh, that's easy. Because we know what our purpose is. We know why we're here. We know our priority. And today, if you're a Christian, then you have been given that assignment as well. Today, if you have received the new life, then you, the primary purpose, the primary priority in your life needs to be about sharing the new life that you have received. The the greatest priority in our life needs to be Jesus and needs to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I have... I have to say this to you because I've been thinking about this a lot this week because I grew up in the church and I have known for eons that, I, that the, the highest priority in my life is to be Jesus. I, I, I'm a, I've, I've been preaching the Bible for a long time now and I've preached that the highest priority in life needs to be Jesus. I believe that to the very core of my being. But what I've been wrestling with is being able to say, what does that actually mean? What, what does it actually mean? It's not merely that you attend church. It's not merely that you sing some songs or that you have a, bit, have, a, have a regular time with God, although it is all of those things, and that is important, and it is important to prioritize. I have to, I have to fully confess to you that I'm not sure I've arrived. I, actually, I know I haven't arrived on this, but I want to just journey with you for a few moments because 
you know, there's things that you find in Christian bookstores or wherever or, or online, you know, in these, in the, like, like acronyms like joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, other yourself, others yourself. But Jesus first, that's how you have joy, right? And that's fine, that's good. You know, and some, some people say the priorities of the Christian life, Jesus, family, work. Yep, yeah, I get it, that's good. But what does it mean that Jesus is first? What does that actually mean for us? That he's the highest priority in our lives. I think... To have Jesus as the highest priority means that we are increasingly allowing Jesus' voice to be the loudest voice in our head and in our hearts. I think it is this, and it's not a one-time thing. It's a multiple times a day thing. This idea of continuing to prioritize and apply the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus' voice actually is in our hearts and our minds and our lives. So, let me, let me flesh it out this way. Who are you? Who, who are you? Every single one of us has messages, thousands of messages every day telling you who you are or who you're supposed to think that you are. You go to the gym and you see people with big old muscles and you say, I don't have those muscles. I must be less, I must be insignificant. You go to the mall and you see people with finer clothes, with nicer bodies, with everything. And we say, oh, I don't have all that. I'm not this, because who are we? And we have messages. You have people all on your TV screens. You have people on social media that are continuing to tell you who you are and trying to define you. And the loudest voice needs to be the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. The loudest voice, making Christ the priority in your life means that I'm, I, I'm, the first thing about me is that I'm a Christian and that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, died for me. It's not that you shouldn't go on a diet or go exercise. That's fine. But the highest priority needs to be who Jesus is and what he has done and applying that multiple times a day, every day, to who you are. Or maybe this, what you do. How do you spend most of your time? How does the way that you spend most of your time assist you in fulfilling your purpose, which is to be a witness for the new life? How does... Your job, not just that you go to to your job or how you do your job, but the work that you actually do, does it actually assist you in the new life? Is it it something that promotes life? Or, Or not? Does it align with your purpose and how we spend our time as we as we journey through? Not merely just the way in which we treat people, although that's all all a part of it. Or the way in which you mother if you're, as you're a stay-at-home mother or as you're retired. What are you doing in your retirement? And is it aligning with your primary purpose for which you exist, which is to give witness to the new life? Or what about what you have? <laughs> there was a kid in my high school, Louis Latina, and he had a T-shirt, and it was a black T-shirt with silver writing, and it said, He who dies with the most toys wins. I haven't thought about Louis Latina in a long time. I'm sure you were thinking about him this morning. But it's a pretty good summary of our culture as it relates to money and possessions, isn't it? As we drive around our neighborhoods, as we drive around the streets of Maple Grove, the Twin Cities, and we start to size ourselves up because of what we're driving or what we're wearing or what everybody else is driving what everybody else is wearing or what boats they have or don't have or where their cabin is or isn't or what vacations they're taking and aren't. Because that's what we ask each other. What are you doing this summer? Are you going on vacation? Where are you going to? And then we size ourselves up based on what everybody else is doing because we find the one who dies with the most stuff, the one who dies, is that, 
Or are we aligning our resources, which are tools that God has given us to further the purpose of the kingdom of God, that we might be able to share new life? Are we aligning ourselves? Where are we? It's applying the gospel to our purchases. It's applying the gospel to our our materials, to the things that we have. They're just stuff. We assign value to them or we assign use to them. What about where you are in life? Someone this week came up and, and I was in a conversation and they said, why are you living in Minnesota? It's a long question. I mean, I a long answer to a short question. In short, because we're here to fulfill the calling that God has put, we believe, put on our lives in order to hear, be here and to pastor and figure out that we might be able to live out our purpose here with you. But, but even more than that, when we go to our, our, ourselves and, and, and go look at our circumstances and look at the challenges, we look at our situation, we look at, at, the, at our location, we look at these, these things and we sort of can go, oh, because of my circumstances, God, no. and we feel badly or we feel like our life doesn't know. We need to be able to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to prioritize the gospel as to be able to speak truth into our circumstances, into our situation, and be able to say God is sovereign over all these things. That no matter how I feel right now, the fact that I feel alone, that I feel like I'm the only one who's following after Jesus, God has not left me or forsaken me. How do I know? Because he sent his one and only son so that I would be reconciled to God. He loved me that much, so he will never leave me or forsake me. And we allow that to be the primary voice in our hearts and our lives. And this is prioritizing Christ. And I suggest to you it's heart work and it's hard work. And it's the work of the mature Christian as we continue to say we want to prioritize Christ in every aspect of our lives. If we want to live a life that actually matters, then it is a life that has to give life. But we will only be those who give life when we prioritize the author of life who is Christ in every aspect of our lives. And this is our work, to prioritize Christ. And that's what they do. Are we to obey God or are we to obey man? Are we to obey what God has to say or are we going to allow these people to be? No, we have to prioritize Christ if we want to live a life that actually matters now and for eternity. Well, if we live a life that, to live a life that matters, we must give life that is fueled by the author of life who is Jesus Christ as we apply his message to our hearts and to our lives in every aspect. And then we recognize that we need to keep, we need to get moving. We need to be moving. Verse 33. When they heard this, the rulers, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel A teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody. But after 400 men rallied to him, he was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, then you will not be able to stop these men. 
you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. and They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, but let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. The members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, wanted to kill them, but God used this man who stood up and gave them counsel, and his counsel was, if this is of human origin, don't worry, it will fail. But if this is of God, then there's nothing you can do to stop them, because you'll just be fighting against God. This was a movement, a movement that was indeed by God and could not be stopped because God was building his church and the way God was building his church was by his spirit through his people and God from that day until this day has continued to build his church. Friends, he has continued to build his church and he has promised that the the gates of Hades will not overcome it that his church will succeed, his church will continue, his church will continue to grow. And you know what? And you and I as a church and as Christians and followers of Jesus get to play a part in the large movement of all that God is doing. We may be playing last chair violin. I think I'm playing last triangle guy. I don't know what my role is in the whole symphony and the whole orchestra of all that God is doing, but God is making a masterpiece. But God is working and God is moving and it will not be thwarted. And we get to play a part as a community and you get to play a part as a Christian because that is the primary purpose for which God puts you on earth is that you get to play your part. And so we need to be those who say we are going to be those who give life because we've experienced the new life of Jesus Christ. And as God helps us, we will play our part and we will play it with gusto until he comes. The reason we have children up here on this Sunday morning is that we might covenant together to say as a community, we will walk with these parents in order that these children might be able to find their purpose in life, which is to give life to others for the glory of Jesus Christ so that they to the next generation might be able to take it to the next generation until that day when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face and our faith becomes sight. And this is the privilege that we get to play in something far more significant than us, something far more important than just our ambitions and aspirations. We get to participate in something far more significant. So we sat in Target Field as Indians fans surrounded by Twins fans And we felt alienated and ostracized, but the Indians won. (laughs) Not last night, but, but that night. Friends, listen, I don't know your situation, and you may feel alienated, and you may feel ostracized in a culture that seems to be going in ways that scare you and that are afraid. But friends, listen, you're not alone and we know who won, it is Jesus Christ, and he is on the throne, friends. And so you get to play a part. So as we, by his spirit, seek to be ones who give life because we are applying life, the new life to ourselves, and we are joining in the movement, we add our voices to the angelic choir until we will all do it together face to face. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being your child. 
We thank you for the privilege of knowing you, knowing that we actually have lives of significance that aren't just for today, but all for all of eternity. Father, it's hard, and none of us say that it's easy, and yet we come to you and ask that you, by your Spirit, will, will breathe life into us in order that we might be those who give life to others, in order that you may receive all of the praise and the glory. We look forward to the day we will see you face to face. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.